Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. We're on the roof of the broadcast centre here at Wimbledon, and the skyline is as spectacular a setting as we've ever been a part of here on the Tennis Podcast, and it is an appropriately apocalyptic-looking skyline for a day which has seen apocalyptic shock after apocalyptic shock. Matt Roberts is here. Hello, Matt. Hello, David. Charlie Eccleshare is here from The Telegraph. Hello, Charlie. Hello, David. Uh, and myself, David Law sitting at a green picnic table on a nice little patch of grass and we're, we're just trying to take it all in. The sun is setting. It is a, a mixture of blues and oranges and greys up above. It's, it's, it's an incredible sight. But the day we have just experienced is, I would say, one of the most shock-filled days that I can ever remember on the first day of a Grand Slam. Okay, perhaps not the, the most gargantuan names falling in the history of the game. It's not like Djokovic and Nadal and Federer have all gone out on day one, but when does that ever happen anyway? But there have been so many surprises today, Charlie. Where do you start as the Telegraph? What is going to be on the front page of your sports section from a tennis perspective after a day like today? It's hard to make sense of it. I think uh, Osaka going out is huge, you know, as the second seed and as someone who's you know, got such a big uh, following now, you know, off the back of winning those two Grand Slams. That's probably the biggest name from our perspective to have gone out. Um, but then you look at, you know, on the men's side, you've got Tsitsipas, uh, Zverev, both of whom I was writing about. And then, you know, from a British point of view, shocks aside, it's Kyle Edmund won. So that's always, you know, a, a reasonably big story for us. You know, a, a Brit wins at Wimbledon. Heather Watson as well. Um, but yeah, shock-wise, I think probably Asaka's the one that stands out. We, we've been comparing decimation of predictions at this table before we started uh, this recording of the podcast, Matt. How many of these shocks are indeed shocks as far as you're concerned? Uh, the biggest shock, I think, is Sitsipas out of Zverev, Sitsipas and Osaka. I think Osaka was playing a player in Putin Saver who she just lost to 12 days ago and who had a 2-0 and head-to-head record against her. Zverev is Zverev at slams. He, he does this. He loses matches where you think he's the favourite 
but it's a tricky one and he loses. Sitsipas I did not see coming. Fabiano reached the semis in Eastbourne, but Sitsipas crushed him here last year, straight sets, and now he's gone out in five sets. So for me, it would be the Sitsipas one. But it was, just as you've both said, one of those days where the story kept changing and the sort of the magnitude of the things that happened kept changing it was like which one of these is the biggest and in terms of some wins as well we had Orger Aliasim being so young and winning a match but then he was beaten by Coco Goff doing you know being even more impressive in the age department yeah 15 years of age beat 39 year old Venus Williams let's take a few of these in turn Charlie you mentioned let, let's start with Sitsipasen's Zverev because you covered those for the Telegraph and you'll be able to read about all this online uh, overnight and in the Telegraph tomorrow um, what, what is your takeaway from those matches and also from covering what they had to say after it yeah, well, I mean, broadly, you know, the brief started, you know, do Zverev, Tsitsipas, Alger, Aliasim in a kind of the future of men's tennis is here and we've got, you know, here are the next three pretenders uh, because they were the four, fifth and sixth favourites for the tournament going into it. Um, then, you know, two of them go out and suddenly, you know, my line was, you talk about the dearth of what's coming through beneath the big three and now you've got a guy who's the fourth favourite who before today had won as many Grand Slam matches as anyone sitting around this table. <laughs> That's what we're dealing with. You know, it's, it's extraordinary. The guy's 18 and he's the fourth favourite and being talked about in this way. So it started off with him and he won and that was all good. And then yeah, looked at it and thought, hold on a minute, Zverev's in trouble here. Then Sitsipas is in trouble. And Zverev, as Matt says, once he lost the second set, it got away from him in a very familiar way. Sitsipas saved too much points in the fourth set tiebreak, and you thought, okay, he's, he's had his moment, but he's going to dig this out. But he was really flat. He was agitated throughout, you know, constantly chirping away at his box. He was getting annoyed at, at fans coming in at the wrong times. And then afterwards, him and Zverev gave really heartfelt press conferences. I mean... Start with Zverev, he said he's had uh, distractions off the court the last couple of days. He didn't want to go into what they were. He said his confidence is below zero right now. Basically said it's all mental. He acknowledged the fact that, it, in his words, you know, it was a typical Grand Slam match for him. So he's aware of that. Uh, he looked completely deflated. He said it's been a rough year. And, yeah, he's got no confidence. This agent issue that he's referenced in Simon's piece I think this morning actually uh, Patricia Arpe is a, an agent we know uh, who actually now works with um, Sitsipas. with Sitsipas and, he, and he, he was sort of working with the two of them wasn't he at the same time he he said you know I'm, I'm basically carrying out all of these different jobs I'm being a lawyer I'm being a, uh, I'm dealing an with accountant. A, an accountant all these different things which we know that the top players usually get somebody that's handling all of these sort of things and he, he said I, I can't go and get another agent because I'm I'm contracted to this one and you know it may end up well being a, a big old legal case which could drag on and drag on are these excuses or I mean do, do you put a lot of stock in what he's saying because I mean he has under delivered at Grand Slams before all this started yeah, I, I mean, it, it's so hard to know without kind of having an intimate knowledge of the Zverev camp. It, it clearly has been a distraction or something has been a distraction for him, whether it's this issue or other things. I mean, he's talked about, he's kind of intimated at you know, various personal things over the course of the year. It's certainly not helping him. Uh, he does look very distracted. He looks a little lost. Um, 
and you know talked about maybe taking some time off he said he wasn't sure he said it, you know the US Open is always where he thought he would make his slam breakthrough and oh really that, yeah that's kind of interesting yeah it is um, and that re- that remains very much his target he said grass isn't isn't for him. I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard when you're you know when you're in the room with these young people because we do put a huge amount of pressure on them and we expect a lot from them. And you saw Osaka as well, who we'll talk about um, in more detail. You know how upset these guys were. I mean, Sitsipas looked like he was fighting back tears. He looked absolutely devastated, which we've seen before as well. Yeah, it? it wasn't quite sort of Wawrinka levels of devastated after he lost to Stan in Paris and, and he was he was offering some insight on the match I thought he was really interesting when he he was talking about how grass he's having to adjust his game to grass and it makes him really uncomfortable it reminded me of a lot of golfers talking about when they go to Augusta to play the Masters having to like change their change the way they hit the hit the ball off the tee to suit the course so like Sitsipas was like saying things like that about it seems to be really in his head, grass yeah. ball tennis. He, he is bothered, and actually, when, when you watch him, you realise that the game that he imposes on people on other surfaces, at the moment, he's not able to impose mm. it, and he's he hasn't found a solution to the movement. I think the movement is the biggest thing. He doesn't know where to place himself on the course in order to to hurt the opponent, and and. Too. I mean, he was losing his footing quite often today, and and he's scrambling around the back of the court, and then it's almost like he thinks, no, no, I need to be inside the baseline here, and I need to attack. But you can't just do that out of will, yeah. can you? you? The ball has got to be there at the right depth for you to be able to attack it like that. So he he, he looks like he's caught between two stations in a way. I was just going to say as well. He, I do think he'll look back on this period and think to himself I was really hard on myself I mean he I asked him if he if, you know if he would have a break and he said I don't think I deserve a break you like geez this is a guy who's 20 years old he's sixth in the world and, and he showed a bit of self-awareness because he was asked about Bagdatis and he said you know Bagdatis is one of these guys for whom tennis isn't everything and he said you know unlike me so I think he knows that he should or could benefit from some more perspective but he really struggles to do that and he, he was berating himself and the rest of the young guns for not putting more pressure on and, the big guys and, and he and he talked about his year saying that he was hoping for a really consistent year and how like he maybe hasn't lived up to expectations or hasn't gone according to plan i think was the, yeah. was the phrase he used but he's six I mean, in the world <laughs> yeah and up until maybe the last month he'd been so consistent that's what we were so impressed by the fact that he was backing up the run in Melbourne by winning a couple of titles, getting to finals. He he has been consistent. I think he's. I agree. I think he's being a bit harsh of himself on himself just I, because of this I, last. I month. do love his ambition. Though, I do yeah. in that regard. And and I have to say, I thought Thomas Fabiano was really good today. Yeah. And and he he played that sort of baseline tennis that guys without a lot of you've got a, somebody like Sitsipas who's got all this variety and the, the way that Fabiano counters that is by absolutely leathering ground strokes to, to great depth and it, and it kind of reminded me of that match Sitsipas played in Paris against Delien sort of someone with intensity bringing that to bear on Sitsipas mm. I mean I think one thing one side of concern Sitsipas can that it's great that he does put so much pressure on himself but it can sometimes become a bit negative and he does you know, he's getting at his box almost in a, that kind of Andy Murray way. He's his his attitude can go down a little bit when things don't go his way, and it, that was it today. But look, he's twenty years old. He'll, he'll learn from all of these things. It's all stepping stones, and he's he's clearly going to win majors. You know, it just might take a little bit of time. Ready to pop the question. 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Naomi Osaka had to leave the interview room today. She she took a question. Actually, it was from my colleague, Russell Fuller, at the BBC. It was a perfectly straightforward question, really, about whether she felt she was struggling with the with the with you know with the element of being a star, with the suit, the stardom that comes along with the status that she has right now. And and she said to the the moderator, "I I, th- I think I might." I think I'm going to cry. And the the moderator said, she said, well, can, can I leave the room? And, and he, he, I'm not sure whether it was a man or a woman. The woman. Moderator said, yes, you can, and, and took her out. And which I think under the circumstances was the right thing to do. Um, but it, it is difficult to take a read on where Osaka is because she's won these two Grand Slam titles. She, she gave that fascinating interview to Simon uh, in the Telegraph a, a week or so ago, in which she said she at the French Open she'd basically been behaving as she kind of thinks a number one is meant to behave, and that's not her, is it? No, and it's now two tournaments in a row where she hasn't completed her media duties because she skipped it, skipped the presser after Birmingham, didn't she? So. Yeah, she's clearly really struggling and she's spoken, I mean, not long after, it was only a few weeks after winning in Melbourne, wasn't it, that she was very upfront about how tough she was finding it and clearly the split with Sasha Bayan has, I think that's probably taken a bigger toll than we can know, um, you know, losing, not losing, you know, the all the emotional distress that would have, would have been involved in that, you know, splitting with the person you'd won those two majors with at a time where she really needed that stability because she was going in the space of 
four or five months, you know, from being someone who was talked about as, yeah, she's she's a big prospect to, she's won two Grand Slams, she's going to be the greatest player ever. And, you know, all the endorsements and everything, and she needed the stability more than ever, and, and that's gone. And she's mm. struggling. I think she takes a lot of responsibility on her shoulders for kind of women's tennis in a way. She was mm. She was asked whether she felt like the fact that women's tennis is so unpredictable kind of makes the loss easier to come to terms with in a way because these things happen and she said no the complete opposite because when I lose like this people think oh women's tennis is so unpredictable there's no true there's no true sort of champions number ones in a way and and she's like I want to be that that person I I, I, I want women's tennis to be seen in a light where we, we, we do have strong champions and I am a strong champion and I mean she is she, she has won mm. two grand slams I mean and this period has come on her two worst surfaces. I, I'm, I'm not worried long term about Naomi Osaka. I, I, I think she's got too much strength and she's too special. This is this is a, a, a serious blip, and she needs to overcome it. But I think the way her personality is, you know, she is quite shy. She's quite introverted. A lot of people can see that as a weakness in a way, but I don't. I. I I think she's she's so thoughtful and analytical that she will come through this. Can you afford can you afford to be thoughtful and analytical? Is it not easier as a top player to not have too much going on between the ears and to just, you know, crack on in fifth gear all the time? So that thing is I think Sampras said that, you know, the best players have short memories and they're able to just put behind those uh those myriad difficult moments that you're going to have I mean there's definitely a benefit in not overthinking but that but you know as um, I spoke to Kiki Burton's last week and it occurred to me that then you've got three of the top four in her uh, Barty and Osaka who you would describe as introverts so it, it is a shift in that way and it's a you know a move away from players who were outwardly at least gave the impression of being very in your face determined and um, an extroverted, I suppose. Um, but we'll see long term how much, the, you know, because this could help her in some ways as well if she can channel this. Again, just thinking it back to what I was saying about Sitsipas, I think she also will look back at herself at this age and think, I was, I came down on myself pretty hard. Well, once again, I think it is important just to, to mention that Yulia Patintseva played very well again, as did Yuri Vesely, a player who. When he beat Djokovic in Monte Carlo a few years ago, I think we all thought, oh, you know, this guy could be somebody to watch. And he's not really done an awful lot since. And and yet he, he pretty handily beat Alexander Zverev today. So well done to those three players for causing those upsets. Uh, a little bit of happier news for some of the... I don't want to say big names because they're the young players. You've mentioned them at the start of the show there, Matt. Felix Auger-Aliassime and Coco Goff. Corey Goff, as, as uh, she's written down, but she's she's known as, as Coco, who's 15 years of age, and you've got 18 years of age, uh, is, uh, is Felix. And he's the first male player born in the 2000s to ever win a match at Wimbledon. It's the first time he's ever won a Grand Slam match as well, even though he's ranked 21 in the world, which is the most mind-boggling statistic as far as I'm concerned. Those two, whilst they're not the big names of the, the tournament, they, they feel really notable, significant 
moments in the sport. You, I think you, you tweeted about both of them sort of marked down the 1st of July 2019 today, Matt, didn't you? Because surely these two, they, they could going be places. significant figures in the They're, future. I think, I mean, Goff just... I, today was kind of the first time I'd properly, properly watched it. I'd seen. Tell us about it because I seen, didn't get to see that. Much. I'd seen bits before, but it backed up what I thought. She has a really big serve. Um, you know, she was serving it right into Venus's body at about 115 miles an hour quite often. But then she's also got this amazing forehand, which is really loopy, and it barely makes a noise when it hits the strings, and yet it just dips just right at the baseline. And the, the gas going around the centre court as, as they were going in, it was like people were sort of discovering this player and this new shot at the same time. <laughs> How is she doing this? Um, and Venus's, some of her facial expressions were just amazing. She was sort of, just couldn't believe what she was seeing. And then all of Goff's mishits were going in as well. It was just one of those days. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't have played a better first Grand Slam match than than Goff did I mean it was her first main draw match she's 15 she's playing her idol and she I think she made fewer than 10 unforced errors in the whole match 24 years between them it must be such a, a strange experience for Venus Williams who's who's encountered multiple eras now yeah. over the 20 plus years she's been a pro and it was such a lovely moment at the end when Goff was completely overwhelmed by it all but she found the presence of mind to applaud Venus off the court mm. and just Watched, watched Venus depart and take the applause of centre court and then she said she just Goff just had such nice things to say about Venus in her interview afterwards saying that you know quite frankly I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for for Venus and I'm sure Serena as well and you got that sense actually Charlie in the post-match handshake between the, the pair that Goff just wanted this moment to linger for a second so that she could tell Venus all that she'd meant to her over the years really nice who does Goff play next because that I mean that Sort of traditional following up a big upset with a. I think it might be Rabarakova who beat Sabalenka, and there's an opportunity for you here, David. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I've, I've got so much wrong today. <laughs> I'm going to make the most of the fact that I pre- predicted uh, Rabarakova to beat uh, oh, yeah, um, right, Sabalenka, yeah. and Sabalenka was appalling today. <laughs> I mean, you know, Rabarakova is a tough player to play. She does the slice and dice thing, and she's been a semi finalist here, but Sabalenka. I think she made 24 unforced errors in, a, in just over a set and a bit. And this sounds terribly unkind because I've, I was actually at times really impressed with the coaching methods of Dmitry Tursunov over the last year. But watching her today and watching her over the last few months has been like watching Dmitry Tursunov when he was a pro, when... He just didn't have a, anything other than put the foot to the floor and blitz every single shot. Don't doesn't matter whether it's going in. I'm just going to carry on doing that. And she just it was a, a ridiculous performance from Sabalenka today. You've got to surely be able to adapt if you're playing that badly and hitting that many unforced errors. That was specific. Well, that was one of the things specifically that Federer said in his FT interview, wasn't it? That when you're younger, you, you're trying to rip the ball in half and then as you get a bit older you learn that that isn't actually the way to do it god Sabalenka is um yeah one of the worst at that I mean she's having a really tough time I'm I'm just trying to figure out what has changed I mean the only thing I can think is that last year she was the underdog in a lot of matches wasn't she and that that kind of all-out aggressive Mm. tennis can sometimes just work if you're not if there's less pressure on you and 
people maybe have slightly figured out her game and she's expected to win these matches and she's, yeah as you said she's just throwing in these really poor performances I mean that's now round three loss in Melbourne round two in Paris both to Anissa Mova and now round one so you know, she's, where she's, she's she go getting, from she's here getting worse. <laughs> doesn't qualify for the u.s well i i do feel that yeah that that's the, the crux now isn't it she's got the summer to try to rebuild for herself on a surface that she's done really well at in the past and it was the, but it, it was the back end of last season where she took off she's got a lot of points to defend and things mm. like that um, yeah it's going to be interesting to see how she gets along with that maria sicaria winner today who i know uh, charlie's expecting big things <laughs> of charlie in my quarterfinal is she oh, how well. many how many buns does she have in her head Today. I didn't see actually. She, yeah. had, she was going sort of Princess Leia yeah. two bun look the other week. <laughs> yeah, the in Eastbourne week, it was uh, yeah rocking that look against Conta. I think. It yeah, was. you're too young to know about Princess Leia. <laughs> uh, Heather Watson, I, I covered that match at the start of the day, eleven o'clock start, and she got a she was a, behind all the way against. Uh, Katie McNally, 17 years of age uh, from the United States. I was watching that with Laura Robson and then there was there was a moment where Watson was two set points down. She came up with one big forehand winner down the line and then McNally, you saw that kind of junior player who's just not used to it, not working, suddenly questioning herself and the wheels fell off. So uh, Watson is through to face Annette Contivate in the next round. Yelena Ostapenko, who I'd predicted certain things for this fortnight... <laughs> Has lost six two six two to Shea Suwei. Her, her career trajectory is kind of fascinating, Ostapenko. I tried to have an interview with her, but her agent people weren't up for it, maybe because she's having such a bad time of it. But I'm just fascinated by where you go. from. You win a Grand Slam at 20, completely out of the blue. And then, has she just regressed to her true level? Was that a complete blip? But what are her expectations now? What's, I mean, what's her career She's path? just one of those hot and cold players, I think, because she has an incredible ball strike and she goes for it all the time and if it goes in watch out and yeah she, and she got she got to the semis here last yeah, year yeah she right? did so that now apparently she drops outside of the top 70 really wow. oh goodness me talking of interviews charlie you've been on interview fire this week uh you, you mentioned kiki burton you've also had a, a a big double page spread on victoria azarenka today you interviewed even eugenie bouchard who nobody she's, gets to interview she, yeah she's still around she is <laughs> she is still playing tennis contrary right. to what many people thought yeah all, all very interesting characters all very different um yeah burton's was for our supplement um and she's a really really good talker really pleasant person and very um self-aware and and willing to admit she you know she said that she'd rather play in front of two people than on a packed center court which i imagine a few people would agree with but very few would want to say that i think well that was that was confirming a line that we were talking about in in paris when Mm. when she did have that moment when she lost um when she had to retire and we were wondering whether it was kind of a bit of a panic attack and a lot of people in you know the dutch press have been saying to me that day she would rather be on court 18 to center court although she, subsequently we did find out that she'd been really yeah, yeah. And she spent five days in bed or something yeah else. well because like, i suggest you know was it was it linked to the anxiety of being one of the tournament favorites and she said it wasn't it was just um you know bad time terrible being, shame yeah. for her yeah she was, was. A, a real favorite to go deep wasn't she though she was a quarter finalist here last year yeah. so has you know in semi-finalist in eastbourne last week so has, has a chance i think and, and well. she's already pretty much defended the points 
that she got at the quarterfinals here last year by her good grass court results just mm. in the last couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, she was a finalist in Holland as well. So, so she? she kind of feels a bit like the pressure's off here. So it could be an environment that would suit her better than Roland Garros. So what did you make of Eugenie Bouchard then? Well, I was... <laughs> I went in with trepidation. I mean, you know, you, you hear her reputation of uh, for being frosty. She arrived late uh, to this event. It was the WTA summer party. So what that... are you going to say for your interview? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it, yeah, well, I was sort of waiting around at this uh, event to speak to her. She wasn't getting there. She was arriving with her cousin who was in Made in Chelsea. And I was kind of thinking, oh, God. But um, she was fine. I mean, she's... I think she's one of these people who it's very much on her terms. And, you know, she's quite controlled... But yeah, I think what she said is reasonably interesting that Instagram is a highlights reel. Uh, she said, um, you know, it's, it's a part of her life. It's not her whole thing. She doesn't put loads of pictures of her playing practicing tennis because that's her job and she doesn't find that massively interesting. You know, people, I think, have, have their views on her and they think she should knuckle down and focus, but it's kind of up to her and we don't really know how much those things affect her. If she's doing her training as she says she is, then maybe that stuff is just noise but it, it did amaze me that it's been five years since you reached the final here yeah. I can't believe it's been that long yeah, we've barely heard anything relevant about her as a tennis player in that time obviously she had that period of time out of the game because of concussion yeah I mean that's the thing as well it's almost a cautionary tale we're talking today about a lot of these young prodigies coming through and we almost view it as inevitable that one day mm. Goff or Azraelia Seam or whoever will go on and win majors you know I said it myself that Sitsipas will definitely win majors but it's not always known and Bouchard's yeah. a good example of that and, and Zverev whilst not going to that degree at this point I mean he, yeah. he's not going anywhere at the moment no. is he certainly not forwards absolutely um, not Elsewhere, Novak Djokovic a straight sets winner over Philip Kohlschreiber I think he'll be pretty pleased about that I, the one thing I haven't spoken to Goran Ivanisevic about their, their tie up yet but the one thing I did notice about Djokovic today was outwardly he was loud and a couple of times when he won points big points he let everybody know about it and i i would think that goran would want to hear that he won't want to have just this zen-like mm. approach to things i think he'll want to hear his man celebrate and show his anger and let it all out and, and, and that is the best Djokovic, isn't it when he is emotional and reacting to things mm. well that was the turning point for me with him last year was over on centre court uh, and on the middle Saturday he beat Kyle Edmund and he really unleashed you know he was so into it he was mad he was angry and from then on he you know he won that title won the well three Grand Slams in a row and before then he'd had that year or two of seeming neutered almost you know he just that the the fight had left him so yeah that's the Novak you want slightly surprising line came out of his press conference that Simon tweeted about Justin Gimmelstob which uh, I found myself just aghast, really, that, that he would uh, allow himself to, to be drawn on, on his relationship with Justin Gimmelstab at a time when Gimmelstab is so tainted by his, his own court case. Uh, and Djokovic said, yeah, we're, we're, we're friends and we've been in touch. And look, you choose your own friends. It's none of my business, but I, I, I don't really understand... And isn't it amazing for someone who seems so preoccupied with how they're perceived and their image as Novak Djokovic is, for him to be that tone deaf and not to think how that's going to come across? You know, mm. the, the, allying himself with someone like Gimmelstob, 
the most one of the most hated people in tennis and almost you know he said you know Justin's having a hard time at the moment or something to that effect almost portraying him as the victim you think Novak you want to be liked this is not a good way of of, of going about it mm. Grigor Dimitrov is somebody we like um, but who's continuing to have a tough time. 6-2-6-3, won the first two sets against Mute of France, and then he lost the next three. Served for the third as well. Did he? Yeah. Oh, I actually linked the the end of my piece. I said that you know the, the, the fact that Alger Aliassime is fourth favourite is ludicrous, and actually what it really speaks to is that lost generation of players who have so singularly failed to close that gap. That's why there's so much pressure on Sitsabas Zverev hmm. and Alger Aliassime, and... You know, Alger Aliassime just needed to look over a court 15, which is where Dimitrov was playing, yeah. and he's losing from two sets up, losing 6-1 in the fifth set on court 15 Crikey, to a qualifier. He was good, though, Alger Aliassime today. Yeah, Four no, sets he, over He was, Pospisil. but that's, that's, the, uh, that's the, what they're following, that, yeah. that lost generation. Matt, we have an order of play for tomorrow, and there are four women's matches out of six on the two main show courts. That has happened rarely. Yeah, I I took a trip to the um, <laughs> I took a trip to the lawn Wimbledon Lawn Tennis Museum library to go and find out exactly how many times that had happened for some. Peak, this is the kind of research you some, get, folks, some, when when we send Matt on site. Some peak tennis geekery in the library. My That's s- amazing because is that the only way you can find out? Because I found finding historic order of plays really really hard. It is hard. There's they're available on the internet in certain places. You have to look hard. But they don't give you the scheduled order of the play. They give you the, what actually happened. So if matches were moved for rain or whatever. But what we're really after is the, the intended order of play and how many women's matches were scheduled on those courts. Um, so I went and shout out to Robert McNichol, who is the librarian at the, um, in the museum. And, God, I felt like I'd gone to heaven i mean that's just just <laughs> i really his, want to go <laughs> well, look at his face well, lighting up. <laughs> robert is saying it's it's a plea use it you know he, he people aren't aware of it but you know there's they have books and they have programs and periodicals going back years and i spent about i spent way too long in there um but yes eventually i found out that it's happened only three times since 2010 that there have been more matches on both centre court and number one court on the same day um, at Wimbledon. So three days in nine years. Yeah. And and actually those three days have all been since 2016. Yeah, so there's there's a good sign there that at least the idea of scheduling more women's matches than men's matches is becoming something that they're open to doing. But we have seen that this time it's day two. I think it was day two or three last year, day two or three in 2016 let's see if they do it later on in the tournament mm. but it's but no it's it's a good thing that that they are doing it at least god that's a time i mean nine years so there are what seven days where you have exactly. this bit so yeah it's so 56 th- slots yeah or a bit more now including these two yeah you've got three yeah mm. it's and and that is and a stark, fourth tomorrow and, it, and it's in stark contrast to well no tomorrow's the third is it yeah oh goodness so it's in stark contrast to the other slams where Certainly, uh, the US and Australia will have more women's matches on mm. the on the show courts to begin with. So it starts with Tatiana Maria against Angelique Kerber, the defending champion, on centre court at one o'clock. Then it's Roger Federer. Is it Lloyd Harris mm. uh, of South Africa who Federer is playing? Serena Williams against Gato Gato Mon- 
Tacon. Oh, it's your turn to pronounce that yeah. name today. Did I do it well? Better than me yesterday. Okay, good. Uh, and then it's Ash Barty against uh, Zhang Shui first on court number one. It's uh, Anna Bogdan against Joe Conta. After that, it is Rafael Nadal against... What's his first name? Sugita's first name? Yuichi. Yoshi, Yuichi. Yuichi Sugita. Uh, then on number two court, Sloan Stevens is playing against Tamir Baczynski. We've got Dominic Team against Sam Query. My goodness, that's a tough first round for Team. Sharapova against Parmentier. Isner's in action fourth on. Number three court starts with Nick Kyrgios against uh, Jordan Thompson. We've got Garbimi and Muguruza on that court and Petra Kvitova and Marin Cilic. My goodness, there's matches everywhere you look tomorrow. And on court 18, we start with Dan Evans against uh, Federica Del Bonis. Well yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. Tomorrow was supposed to be the sort of hectic day with all, yeah. the, all the big seeds and loads of the Brits playing. And then today just became dramatic indeed it did indeed right charlie are you going to go and write stuff now or have you finished i'm done yeah i've done all my stuff okay yeah well i hope you get we get you back on the tennis podcast again at some point over the fortnight matt go and sleep up and then go and have an early morning uh, visit to the library again (laughs) i'm told robert's a listener so uh, we'll go and see robert um and we will be back again tomorrow and every day during wimbledon here on the tennis podcast brought to you in association with the telegraph executive produced by tennisballs.com with our mascot rio with a y Catherine whittaker will be back with us over the course of the fortnight as well we hope you've enjoyed the show today and every day tell your friends tweet about us review us on itunes if you wouldn't mind tell people if you like the show and we'll be back again tomorrow see you hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.